Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Game Over Winnipeg. My name is Liz, one of your regular hosts. I'm so excited to be doing this game here with my two favorite people in the entire world, and I'm excited to break down a Jets win with them. Annie O'Donnell, Rachel Dory, how are you both doing on this fine Sunday evening? It's going. (laughs) It's going. (laughs) Yeah, it's the way she goes sometimes. I, I think we all have, like, we're all super amped up to be here hanging out with each other because like the vibes are always so good but like well we're we're gonna get into why we're all kind of in a weird mood just I I feel weird I feel insane I feel weird Jets fans obviously know why I feel weird but I'm also kind of happy this is the Winnipeg Jets first comeback win of the year I believe is what I saw or what I heard on the broadcast somewhere which is a good thing because they haven't had a lot of times they've been like down by large amounts and things like that in the third period but also bad because if you can't come back to win in the third period vibes are pretty bad but they did they did 4-2 win over the Anaheim Ducks tonight Rachel gonna throw it to you right off the bat how'd you feel about this game I kind of like being a neutral party um it's fun because I have sons on both teams that I just get to cheer for um the one is a short king. One is very not a short king. He's very large king. Um, but these are two teams I really enjoy watching. So it was kind of fun for me to just be able to like sit back and enjoy the game, albeit um, you never like to see like anyone get hurt and all the fisticuffs that come along with that. But I thought on the whole, like the third period was one of the most entertaining periods of hockey I've watched this season. Like I just thought the back and forth, the penalty kill, the the power plays, like everything was kind of bumping. You get like a a late goal. Like I like the vibes. So for me, I mean, as a neutral can't ask for much more than that. hundred percent. Any, any, what about you? Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know any, any is a ducks fan. So a little bit less of the neutrality. He's like, Oh, I'm just here to watch some good hockey. And he had to watch four consecutive goals get scored against her team in the third period. So any, how, how did you feel about that one? Just kind of across the board. I mean, that was a hundred percent blown. Just absolutely disaster crumbling in the third period i mean for one you're less than two minutes away from at least getting a point and then you just blow that but you're up to nothing with for a beautiful goal from adam henrique by the way i saw that snipe i was like oh he can still do that okay like it's a nice reminder that hey it's still adam henrique but and then of course 
two one right after that. And it's just it was just collapse from there. Like no excuse for that. Like you have there's games where you see stuff happen where you're like, hey, you're completely outplayed. And when you know with, with a team like the Ducks, where you know they've obviously skid a bit since their hot start since October. And, you know, there's games where, hey, they were a competitive team, but completely outplayed us. The game against the Kings a couple weeks back, completely outplayed. But this game was completely winnable for them, and it was just disaster. So that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, disaster up until, I mean, going, I mean, obviously the first and second period weren't all perfect, but, you know, John Gibson looked great. They're still taking dumb penalties, which do not get me started on that. But they killed, they, the penalty kill looked great, especially having to defend a five minute, five minute one on there. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, you know, these games happen, but it's just unacceptable. There's too much talent on this team for that to happen. Yeah, no, I I think that's the kind of thing that it's like at the end of the day, like some teams are better than others, but they're all professional hockey players. And just the idea of, you know, that that type of collapse is always so frustrating when you know, you know, they don't have to be doing that, you know? And, and so right. it's definitely the kind of thing where it's like that, that, that was preventable. But you started off talking a little bit about um, the, the penalty kill by the Ducks there. Why don't you dive into that a little bit more? And then I'm going to throw it to Rachel for a little bit of an objective perspective on just kind of the five on four as a whole um, for the Jets and the Ducks in this game. You know, I mean, I mean, one of the biggest concerns, even back very beginning of the season, one of the biggest problems the Ducks have faced is just taking dumb, dumb penalties. There is no excuse. And I think too many men is the stupidest penalty you can take. It really life. is. And it's, it's not so cold. bad. Like, do you not know how to count? Where are we missing the communication here? And it wouldn't. And hey, every now and then I get it. Mistakes happen, but it's been a pattern for the ducks. This is not the first too many men on the ice penalty they have taken. I mean, granted it was, I think it was in the first period. I believe it wasn't, you know, third period, you know, two minutes left. That was awful timing, but it's one of those things where it's like, really like that's discipline. That's communication with your bench that you need to get better at. But I mean, I've, albeit I mean, also taking penalties in the offensive zone. That's not great either. And, but they have a knack for doing that where, Hey, the momentum builds they're beyond. Come, they've had a comeback kind of trend this year where, hey, they're within a goal, they've tied it up, and then they take a dumb, useless, no-excuse penalty, and then the momentum just dries. But the penalty kill was the biggest spotlight, the biggest shining <laughs> the shining light for the Ducks tonight, able to kill off those man advantages. Well done there. And, you know, it goes to show kind of, you know, that, hey, we're making improvements here because that was not the case. I believe the Ducks were 31st. Last year on the penalty kill, they weren't dead last. I believe that was the Flyers. I could. No, it was Vancouver. Let me help you out. It was Vancouver. The Flyers (laughs) had the worst power play. That's right. That's right. So penalty. Yeah, we're we're making progress here. I think they're middle of the pack. They're not stellar, but you know, it's still it's hard hard to look at the bright spots here. When at the end of the day, like didn't even get out of that game with a point when they very well could have. But you know, we'll take little by little and onto onto the Islanders on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, I look at it and and I mean, any any kind of hits the nail on the head. Like the you want to talk about dumb penalties. Like the city, the team that I like, I actively live in the city. We have the most too many men penalties this year, and it's like do, they, the Leafs had eight players on the ice at one point this year. And I'm like, what are you doing? That's like closer <laughs> to ten than it is to five. Like, why do you have this? And I could totally see from like a fan perspective, the offensive zone penalties. Those are those are young penalties. They're immature penalties. Those are penalties I expect from guys like 
I don't know, a Leo Carlson, his first year in the league. Even some of the second and third year, Jackson Lacombe would be fine. Uro Vakaninen would be fine. But, like, if you've been in the league for more than three years, if you're not on an entry-level contract, you should not be taking offensive zone penalties or, like, that's just lazy. It's laziness. And and I, I'm with Annie on that one. Like, that's that's pretty pretty bad but the bright spot was the pk i thought i don't know if you can necessarily count the five minute one because of the injury to connor when you lose connor and shifley who are the two most important pieces of that power play it's going to completely disrupt anything you're doing so i went into that and i actually kind of joked with my friend i'm like i think the ducks are more likely to score on this power play than the jets are because when you have kind of that level of discombobulation you're not really expecting to score because nobody really knows what's up. And then kind of later in the game when the Ducks really needed to kill those penalties, I thought they did a really good job of it. And that's something that I think Greg Cronin deserves a ton of credit for because when you have a young team, the one thing that they are usually absolutely brutal at is killing penalties. And the Ducks aren't. And I think that's a testament to getting the buy-in from the young players. And I've really liked Leo Carlson's kind of development. I think he could absolutely be one of that, like a two-way force, one of those players that is out on the first PK unit, but also out on the first power play unit. So I'm interested to see kind of when he gets in the mix. But on the whole, like I like the Ducks pressure on the PK. I thought they got to the Jets and I'll be interested to see kind of the adjustments that the Jets make now that Kyle Connor is likely to be out for... And let's let's conservatively say until after Christmas. Yeah, no, for sure. And I I, I want to dive into that. I do, but before we move on from the special teams, I do want to talk a little bit. And I'm not I'm not trying to take away from the decks here. Trust, trust. But someone in the comments mentioned it, and I fully agree. It also helps that the Winnipeg Jets power play is dog. Like it's absolute blasphemy <laughs> right now. Like it is just brutal. <laughs> what Annie did you kind of observe from the Jets power play? Like in in my opinion, at least tonight, it wasn't as stagnant as it usually is but it still wasn't good uh what what did you kind of observe from the from their the many power plays that we witnessed from the Winnipeg Jets tonight and kind of why that penalty kill was able to be as good as they were I mean being just kind of the first time watching the Jets on the power play it was very first of all which is abundantly clear with the loss of Connor and Shifley on that five minute you're just like that's I mean night and day even though you say that you know the Jets power play isn't that great I mean it was noticeably you know when you remove players like that and I I say that as a Ducks fan where we've got it feels like we're adding a new person to the IR every game and majority (laughs) young guys I mean god poor Jamie Drysdale hasn't played it feels like four games in a combined 14 months but I would say I think the one thing that I notice is it's not, and I respect the hell out of John Gibson. I mean, he's easily the best penalty killer is John Gibson, and that's and that's not even close. And he had some solid stops, but he's also a goaltender that can be easy to read, especially on the rebounds too, which that's the the irony because I think about that Alex Kalorn goal on Connor Hellebuck when he was, I think it was the third rebound he got it on, but really kind of getting to him and then just, def- def- I can't talk right now. <laughs> I catch <laughs> It's like, like so many emotions i feel like also like i was on caffeine and now i'm on tea right now to like calm myself down and i'm like bringing it down a little Andy, bit more. look at look at the assortment of things i mean <laughs> health. health wait what is what is the sour patch thing you're holding though? okay so i was talking to Liz about this look it's sour patch kids sour cherry blasters and sour watermelons all in one package absolutely brilliant oh my like, goodness 
10 out of 10. And this package was only $4. And I feel like I'm like, I would pay double for that. Oh, easily. Easily. Yeah. So Annie's coming down. I'm going up. So <laughs> going to bed tonight is going to be super Rachel's fun. Rachel's going to have like an eight-year-old sugar crash after this stream is done. But it's okay. Well, hopefully. hopefully and I'm like a grandma over here. here. Which... <laughs> <laughs> so, times have changed. I think I think we have to talk about it. I think we got to talk about the early in the second period frame neon knee collision that resulted in two players leaving the game, one with an injury, one with an ejection. Rachel, what were your initial thoughts on that play and how are you feeling about it now? Okay, so I wa- like I watched it live and because I watched I, I, a bit like I watch on a 30 second delay minute delay because <laughs> I hate cable. So I have a different service. I had already received three texts asking me what I thought. And I, and then I saw the hit live and in my immediate thought was, was that's gotta be five in a game. Now, given the inconsistency we've seen in the last 72 hours from the officials, Nobody knows what's five in a game, but I looked at that and I'm like, okay, Ryan Strom is not a dirty player. Like there's no chance he would ever intend to injure anyone. But I looked at that specific play and I was like, unnecessary, change your path, direct collision, injury. That's five in a game. And so I thought that they got that call correct and that's fine. The look I I didn't like from Connor though. Like I, yes, he got up and that's fine, but zero weight on his leg, not even going down the tunnel. Like that just seemed super bad. Mark Shifley has two career fights now and both of them have been standing up for a teammate. I feel like that guy has really picked his spots um, when he gets into skirmishes and it's always to defend a teammate. Very leadershipy of him. Um, and I thought that was the right play. You have to go, like, that's your best player. That It was a dirty play. That's the right play. And I think Ryan Strom deserves a ton of credit, too. He understands that's a bad hit. I'm going to have to answer for that. And we we harp on the fact that, like, you shouldn't have to answer for clean hits. But you should have to answer for a dirty hit. And Ryan Strom did that. So I think he deserves some credit there for that. I think because it was early in the second period, it's unlikely that you're going to see a suspension. Interesting. Okay. Annie, what do you think? Um, I mean, I didn't like the hit just off the bat first. Even I didn't need it slowed down. I saw the way, you know, knee on knee collision. I was like, yeah, can't happen. Like, and whether or not like it was, in- I mean, obviously Strom's not the guy to go out there and intentionally hurt somebody, but it's just, it's unsafe. You can't be doing that in today's game. And uh, I agree with what Rachel said, though. I, I like the fight. That was, you know, he kind of understood. He's He's been in the league. He knows how it goes. And uh, good for Shifley, standing up for his guy, too. Uh, I'm going to lean on eh. I go back and forth just because, you you know, I think that the league harps a lot on history, too, on previous, on previous history. But I wouldn't be shocked if he got a game. I wouldn't be shocked if he had to sit out. I don't – yeah, I'm going to say a game. Yeah, no, for sure. It is definitely the kind of thing, and, and I I won't necessarily speak to the possible repercussions on the Strom side, because like both of you and like Rachel mentioned, I, I can't even guess at this point, like genuinely. It's like, what are we even doing this for? But We're shooting. For, for, and it's, it's, oh, yeah, 100%. It's like it's blind, chucking whatever at the dartboard after yeah. three drinks. And we know it's it a knee. Like, it's not yeah. going to be an ankle injury. And like, yeah. No, exactly. I just hope it's not. A t- I just hope it's, you know, not anything serious. I'll, Kyle Connor's one of my favorite players to watch. That's not a duck. 
I hope it's not anything, God forbid, not anything ACL, MCL, anything like that, that keeps him out a while. But yeah, it's, it's such a shame too, just the way that player safety is like this, because true. I mean, obviously as a Ducks fan, I, when George Peros was playing here, uh, he's a huge fan favorite, respect the hell out of him. He's a smart player too. Like you would think, Hey, he's a guy that knows how to plays the game the right way, played the game the right way as a player, knew his role as an enforcer would be a great guy to be the head of player safety. But you know, that's just a history wise and the way, the way it's been so far, that has not been the case. So yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's super frustrating, right? Because he's like, you look at George Peros and, and you hit the nail on the head, like in his career, he was a tough guy. He did deal with a lot of this. He's also highly educated. Like yeah, there is yeah. no Prince, reason yeah, yeah. for you to not be able to be some level of consistent here right with and i thought at the beginning of the season like my podcast co-host despises the department of player safety so much so that i had to like (laughs) deal with text messages from people in the department about it but i'm like you can't tell me anything he says is incorrect he's absolutely right and then at the beginning of the year we had to give them credit because we thought that they were being consistent and erring on the side of a heavier suspension for bad plays you think about the rasmus anderson one and and now like in the last 72 hours i'm like what what the hell is going on like what am i watching and so you look at this and it's I, i i feel like what the Department of Player Safety needs is they need a guy like George Peros, but then they need a guy like Paul Correa, who's also obviously a former duck. You need you need the guy that's been the fighter, then you need the guy that's been on the wrong end of some stuff, right? Yeah. And and that can really speak to the fact and say, no, that's got like that can't be in the game. We gotta punish that. That's you need somebody that isn't a tough guy in the Department of Player Safety. Like well, you just do. It makes it even worse because George had to end his career because of concussions, too. So you would think he would kind of have both sides of, you know, being able. That's why you would think he would be the perfect guy for the job. But, you know, maybe I maybe, Rachel, you can speak more to this than me. Like as far as like the structure for the actual department and how those decisions are made. But something's got to give here. Like something has trash. Oh, I believe it. I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if it's like him and then a whole bunch of other yeah, I don't know. But my favorite, I, it thing, from, my favorite thing from today is David Perron's in, been uh, offered an in-person hearing. And then like three hours Zoom. later, actually, it's over Zoom. It's like, wait, what? Like, yeah. None of it. Hey. it my, my understanding, at least of that, uh, is that if it's an in-person hearing, it means it's live. Otherwise, sometimes the hearings, it's just like they're like they find out later or something like that. Like the player doesn't actually have to be present sometimes to get a suspension, do they? They sometimes like appeal it later or whatever. So, so it's basically, yeah, it's, it's, it happens over the phone. The agent's usually on the phone, the GM's on the phone, but then like, if it's in, in person, you actually, George Peros has to look the player in the eye. So I guess Zoom no, could be considered in person, but also like get on a $300 flight and get your ass to New York. You're getting suspended. What yeah. are we doing? <laughs> like, Yeah, I know for sure. But moving to look at the, the specifics of that injury and what that could possibly mean for the Jets, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting to look at. Well, first of all, the fact that, you know, game two of the season, game three of the season, what if I Jets lost one of their top six players to a knee on knee hit from Blake Lazat? Gabe Lardy was out for however many weeks with a with a 
sprained MCL. I, I keep screwing up this injury. I never remember what it actually was. But it's something like that. He's back now, and he's scored the game winner tonight, so shout out my boy. Um, but it screwed with what the Winnipeg Jets wanted to do with their top six and all these types of things, and this is that to the nth degree. Like, this this could be really bad for, for how this team manages, but I personally, like, I, I am one of those people that is really hard on Cal Connor, and I love him with all my heart, and I think that if, God forbid, he's out for a period of time, like, it's really going to hurt the Jets to a certain extent, but I actually think there is some silver lining to to what they might be forced to do in his absence, like with any star player injury, is that you learn what other players are capable of. And we've been talking about this for weeks, about how a lot of players, you know, defer to Cal Connor on the power play and all these kinds of things. It's not a coincidence that tonight's latter half of the power plays were a little bit more interesting because they didn't have that anchor on the wall that they just wanted to fire the puck to, to shoot, to shoot, to shoot. They're looking at other options. And, and Vlad Mesikov is back from injury now. Gabe Velarde is sort of getting back into the group of things. Like there, there's some potential to concoct some interesting lineup choices for the Winnipeg Jets if this player is out for a little bit of time to sort of see what some of these guys are, are actually worth. And Rachel, one of those players is Cole Perfetti. In the absence of even tonight, seeing those 11 forwards, they were throwing everyone and their mother out there on every type of shift. They, I, I really like the way that they were just kind of blending all the lines. And Colt Perfetti is one of those players that I think, you know, the, the usage has been kind of questionable at times this year with this player. But in the absence of a top six person, if that situation were to arrive, <laughs> he'll be pretty good. What, what do you think of that player? And what do you think that, uh, you know, how, how did you find his game tonight just as a whole? What are your thoughts on Colt Perfetti? Yeah, so I love Cole Perfetti, and I think it's funny that this kind of happened in this game because, like, the three of us can talk about it. The the Jets are going to be forced to do something that I feel like Anaheim has been forced to do with Trevor Zegers being out. It's not like Trevor Zegers was very good prior to going out. Maybe you should show up to training camp on time. But, like, I think the Ducks have kind of been forced to try different things. Trevor Zegers isn't the guy stirring the drink on the power play, and now the Jets are kind of in a spot where Kyle Connor can't be the guy stirring the drink on the power play. And Liz, you nailed it. Our short king, Simba, Cole Perfetti, is, should, is, he should be that guy, Rick Bonus at. Please, please let this kid have this opportunity. He's one of those players where he shoots the puck, he can pass the puck, like, super well-rounded offensively. And I feel like he has been in the shadow a little bit. Whereas, like, with Kyle Connor, he's very clearly a shooter. Like, he's not a passer. And so I feel like you that's not the guy necessarily that you want running your power play. Like, that, that isn't what we're going for here. And I think about, like, for years, the best power play in the league was Washington's. And it didn't run through Ovechkin. He simply just shot the puck. It ran through Nick Backstrom and that he's so important because he can be a shooter, but he's also an elite passer. And I think that that's what Cole Perfetti can be. And I really hope that he's the guy that takes the spot there. He's the guy that they kind of operate the power play through because it'll give him a chance to develop as a premier power play player. That'll be good for his development while Connor's out. And then who knows, by the time Connor comes back, if he comes back this season, because let's face it, we don't know. (laughs) Sorry, I'm actually ruining... Speaking that into existence. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like by that point, whenever Connor does come back, Perfetti will have developed and they won't be as reliant on Connor and they'll be able to move the puck a little bit more. So I feel like from a power play and an offensive perspective, this might be good for the Jets in the long run. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And and Annie, maybe maybe to help, you know, there's there's some Jets fans in the chat here. We see I have a lot of our, our regulars here, everyone who's live here right now. Thank you so much for for joining. Make sure you hit subscribe and, and like the stream. We appreciate everyone being here subscribe. live. Um, but Annie, to really to really help kind of ease our worries right now. Your team has been, you know, I would say just in the aggregate overperforming expectations this year. I know the the Anaheim Ducks are not everyone's cup favorite necessarily, but that's also been in spite of some very important injuries that have kind of occurred in their lineup right now. We have guys like Mason McTavish, Jamie Drysdale, Trevor Segrist, all these guys have been missing some time. What do you see in your team and how they manage missing those key players and how they kind of adapt? You know, I think, honestly, I think it all started, um, and I'm going before the season, Isaac Lundestrom had to go out with Achilles surgery, and everyone kind of looked, Isaac Lundestrom's kind of like that third C, and everyone kind of saw that spot being opened as an opportunity for Leo Carlson to enter the lineup. Now, seeing the kind of player Leo is right now, I think he would have gotten that opportunity regardless (laughs) if Isaac Lundestrom was in the lineup, but I'd also, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you go into training camp, you really don't know. And obviously, you know, Pat Verbeek and Greg Cronin have this development plan in place for Leo Carlson that, you know, it's, am I an expert at developing players? No, absolutely not. So I, you know, and I obviously don't have the plan in front of me, but at first it was, you know, two games and then, Hey, now they're like, okay, we'll kind of add in a third game or we'll, you know, ease, but I I get easing the workload for a rookie and somebody not wanting to throw them out into the fire. And it kind of makes me think not to cross sports here, but you know, some, you know, the NFL, you know, you go into the draft and so many, they're looking for quarterbacks, somebody that they can like start. Oh, who's our new franchise guy. And then some of these kids, you just throw them to the wolves, throw them with the sharks, like right away. Be like, here, you got the ball week one, go, go play with grown men. And, but then you see like the guys like Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens, the guys that, you know, didn't get the ball week one or kind of rode the bench and kind of waited their turn and learned you know, ease their way into the starting role. And I think that's, you know, you have your exceptions, of course, with, you know, your Connor Bedards, your Connor McDavid, your generational talents. But I think that's the way to do it with young guys. But as far as the injuries go, for one, I think that Trevor Zegers being out really shows how different of a lineup and different of a team this is with him on it. Because that first line with him, Leo and uh, Troy Terry, excuse me, was just clicking. They were working together. They weren't as hot as uh, Vetrano, McTavish, and, and Strom at the time, but they were just getting some great plays together. And really, yeah, Zegers wasn't putting up as many points as he would like to, obviously, on the board and as you know, f- the fans would have liked to have seen. But, I mean, that guy makes a difference when he's out there on the ice, and he is a difference maker for that team. Is he the franchise? Is he the face? I mean, I would argue, yes, he's still the face of the franchise, but I think, you know, we're kind of seeing that the stars and the, you know, the super, I don't want to say superstars because still, they're still so young, but there's so much more talent on this team outside of Zegers. I think you're getting a lot more looks at the guys like Carlson, at Pavel Minchikov, at Lacombe, at hey, I'll even say Lukash Dostal, who had a great start to the season in October. Not, I mean, I think now it's a little interesting how they're kind of dividing time with uh, Gibson and Dostal, where at first they were switching off games, and now they're kind of, now that Gibby's, you know, showing that hey, he's got, he's on he's on it this year. They're giving him a little bit more leeway, but it's really. You know, it's one of those things, like you said, um, the expectations this season are, hey, this is still a rebuilding hockey club. I think that the team is further along than a lot of people think they are. I think, you know, some people are like, oh, they didn't start rebuilding until last year. They didn't start rebuilding until they traded Lindholm, Raquel, Manson. Yeah, that 
that sped things along, but that wasn't when the rebuild really started. So, but I mean, all things considered, you know, kind of relying on the veterans, they've really responded and there's been a lot of winnable games. I'd, I'd say there's only really a handful that the Ducks just absolutely did not deserve to win. Whereas there's so many losses that they've had where it's like, Hey, like this game, there were winnable opportunities. This was a game they were in, you know, not maybe not the full 60 minutes, but a good amount of time. So you know, it's still early, obviously, but um, the way they're responding to injuries, I, I'd say uh, so far, even though probably points-wise not as great, I think play-wise, with the exception of tonight, so far so good. Yeah, and, and maybe I look circling... at the Ducks. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to say, like, I look at the Ducks, and I remember Annie and I talking, like, in preseason, and I like I took so much flack for saying that the Ducks were going to surprise a lot of teams this year because like people were like the Ducks are going to be terrible they're going to be in the celebrity sweepstakes and I'm like I don't think so like I think the Ducks are going to surprise oh, yeah. and and Andy and I were laughing because I was taking so much heat for saying that and I was like man like it's it is not that serious you don't need to yell at me like no. but you look at before. it it's never that people serious. are nuts but it, when Andy going through and like mentioning like that those top, two top lines to start the season, like the Ducks' top six when healthy, is pretty freaking good. Like the yeah. amount of talent, just raw talent, is incredible. And Leo Carlson was really stirring the drink on that line, and that development plan has turned out to be great. Like hope we'll see if he kind of hits the wall that maybe we're expecting some of the other rookies to hit. But like Jackson Lacombe has looked incredible. Pavel Mintikov. I am not even remotely surprised. I mean, like I was working for a team when that kid was drafted. And I remember like saying to myself, I'm like, this kid's going to be good. Like he's going to be really good. And it's not going to be very long before he's really, really good. Like, I mean, I'd be lying if I said, I wish we did. Like, I wish that the Canucks, when I worked for them, got him because that was the kid that I really, really wanted. And I look at kind of how they've built once Drysdale comes back. Like it, not only is it a super talented decor, it's a really young decor. There's a real opportunity to develop. I will say, I think they're giving John Gibson this runway here because they've kind of fallen out a bit and they know that they're not going to be a playoff team. And there is a part of me that seriously thinks that they're giving Gibson this opportunity to showcase. He can still be a goalie so that they can trade him for a boatload at the deadline because the Oilers should be ringing off the hook. The Leafs might be ringing off the hook. The Devils need a goalie. Like there are so many teams, specifically the Oilers and the Devils though, that need a capable goalie. And if Gibson can can show that he's that, you never know. Maybe that nets you a serious prospect from a deep prospect pool in New Jersey, or it gets you somebody like Xavier Borgo from Edmonton or a Philip Broberg who could really use a change of scenery that I think would benefit from the Anaheim kind of defensive development system. I kind of think that that's what Anaheim's doing, but I, I love watching the ducks play. Like I really do. And I think the ducks are going to be that team next year. That is the one that goes, Hey, they're in the wild card. Like they're wild card two next year. Yeah. Fun. I, I like the bold prediction. We're gonna hold you to that. Yeah. Um, okay. So speaking of of the Ducks and and what we like about them, I'm I'm gonna circle back to to tonight's game a little bit and throw maybe um I'll throw it right back to to Rachel first specifically maybe a kind of pro and con list sort of style. What did you really like about the Ducks game tonight? And also on the other side, like what did you like about the Jets game tonight? Kind of as a whole for both these teams and and where you see this game sort of fitting in the fabric of how you feel about these teams right now. Yeah. Um. I'll start with the Jets because it's just like top of mind 
um they showed tonight that they have the character and like the the i guess the the gumption of a contending team because non-contending non-mentally strong teams your your star goes down you go down to nothing in the third you pack it up and you go home like there's we don't got to do anything like we're packing it up so the resilience that they showed to be down there losing their best player emotionally that's tough to go down to nothing and to come all the way back and win in regulation that is and has to be the major positive of the game like to me i look at that and i'm like i don't want to play the jets because now i can see that they're together as a team like i thought adam lowry was fantastic and i thought that the team really stepped up um the defensive coverage in front of the net left a little bit to be desired but that's fine. And then moving on to the Ducks, I mean, once again, like we're talking about the Jets who are now first place in the Central Division and the Ducks basically handed it to them for the first two periods of the game tonight. Like the Ducks are all the way in it. The Pacific is an uber weird division. And if the Ducks play like that, they are going to win more hockey games than a lot of people think they do because you look at it. They are coming back in transition. The attention to detail in the defensive zone is a lot better than it usually is for a young team. Like I thought Jackson Lacombe in particular, his habits in the defensive zone are extremely mature. And that's not something that anyone really expected. Like, let's face it, this is not a 10th overall pick we're talking about here. This is not Pavel Minchikov, who also, I thought, I think he's like, he struggled a bit of late, but you could tell that there's so much talent there. So what I saw tonight from the Ducks was one, a lot better in the defensive zone than I had kind of pegged them to be, especially for a young team. And two, the raw talent that exists on that team is going to be a problem when it's harnessed. It is going to be a massive problem for the Pacific Division because you basically got... you. Trevor Zegras no longer has to play center. This is Leo Carlson, Mason McTavish, Isaac Lindstrom when he's healthy. And... That is going to be a major issue for the rest of the Pacific Division going forward. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad, glad I'm not in that division. So, so someone in the chat mentioned a weird division for now, like definitely for sure. But there's some there's some exciting stuff kind of brewing in there. Annie, I'll, I'll throw it to you. What's your what's your big plus for both teams uh, after tonight's game? Well, I'll kind of – I want to – bounce off what Rachel said I think a big part of why you know the Ducks kind of look the way they look this year especially why the young guys are getting look is because they're getting the opportunity to play too I mean Greg Cronin that's this new head coaching regime that they have because under Dallas Eakins that was not the case I mean people were kind of begging wondering why isn't Zegers why aren't Zegers and Drysdale getting those minutes why aren't they getting those power play looks why aren't they getting out onto the ice down by one you know two minutes left in the game but you know Greg Cronin's been very good about Putting the, these young guys out in these opportunities. Yeah, of course, you've got the development plans and things like that. But the fact that Pavel Minchikov is getting the minutes he's getting and getting those looks out there and being, I mean, hell, that hip check on Chris Letang back in October still owns prime real estate right in my frontal lobe. <laughs> like, you're just like, this is a man. This is, I mean, this kid is ready to play with grown men right now. So, uh, as far as the pros, the con- obviously a big pro, the penalty kill. Uh, I know we talked about that at length, but that was that was stellar, um, especially when you get that one on five minutes. Uh, for me, like I need to see, and this is the biggest frustration for me because I he is my absolute champion for the next captain. Although I'm kind of leaning, I, don't, I was I've been on the train for him to be captain. Uh, Troy Terry needs to be better. You are getting paid too much money 
you're getting paid. He just signed that sexy seven year, $7 million annual contract this summer. You got to be playing that much. You haven't scored since November 1st or so that game against the coyotes, which was very oh my beginning. God. What? Yeah. That's the last time he scored a goal. Yeah. Not good. Not good. Although I will say he, that, that was a great pass and play to Kalorn uh, for the goal. So it's not without a point, but he's got to get on the board more. Um, and then just, you know, just discipline. I mean, at the end of the game, just completely unraveling. It's kind of in those moments, you know, the good teams, like you said, you know, the Jets were able to, you know, say, hey, our arguably our best player goes down. You know, how do we respond to this? They were able to build off of that and find a way to win. And the Ducks just completely unraveled. It's one of those moments where like a mature team, a together team is able to do that. And then, you know, maybe the ducks are still in that stage where they're trying to find that identity still, whereas the jets are more established and there, I mean, a good portion of that group has been together, which, Hey, same with the ducks, but you're still dealing with a lot of guys that are still figuring out who they are as hockey players. So, and then also bright spot, John Gibson was retro for the majority of tonight. He was on his game. Amazing. All right. Well, we're we're creeping up on the time here for for the length of the show, so we're just going to do a little quick jump into the chat for some questions. So for those of you who are listening live, thanks for sticking with us through the show. It's been great to have you all here. Make sure you're hitting that like button and sending some comments in. Throw your questions in the chat now. We're going to do a quick little uh, rapid fire with with Annie and Rachel with any questions that you guys throw into the chat here. So the first one I'm going to throw uh, right back to Annie to start. Um, wild card spots. Right now we're almost at the Christmas break. Predictions right now. Two central or two Pacific, or one of each? What are your thoughts? Where are you at? Ooh. Ooh. Rachel looks up, she has time to think on it. So, you're on the spot. I'm going going with two Central. I like the Central Division this year. Wow! Okay, okay, you know what? I emotionally will take that. Um, Central has been dogged on by by everybody. They're like, man, this division stinks. And I'm like, you know what? I know, but it's my division, so. Yeah, no. I mean, they've had a lot. I mean, Nashville's been disappointing, I would say, to start. But I I think the Coyotes sneak into one of those wild card spots and just shock the world. And you, they, people do have to see a playoff game played at Mullet Arena at Arizona State University. I would love nothing more than for that to happen. I so I'm going to speak that into existence. Um, maybe, I mean, it's hard to say. I believe what, who, who's in a wild? It's Nashville and uh, Arizona in those uh, one, two spots, I Correct. believe. I'd say so, yeah. Okay. Okay, so maybe eh, maybe Edmonton sneaks in. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna say sad. I think Minnesota gets will get it together. Um, okay. but I think the Central makes it interesting. Okay, okay, I like it. Rachel, what do you yeah. think? I think one and one, okay. and I'm gonna say that a team falls out of the Pacific like three spots because Edmonton's gonna go up. Um, their underlying metrics and numbers are preposterous, like hilariously good. Um, and so I think that happens. I'm not entirely sure about me. I'm less sure about Minnesota, but I will say if Minnesota is the one that doesn't get in, I do think I'm with Annie. I do think it's Arizona that goes in. Hell yeah. Um, so okay. I'm going to go one and one. Um, I think that everyone and their mother at the NHL head office would be absolutely furious for revenue reasons. If, Playoff games were played at Mullet Arena. And to be fair, yeah, they probably should be. But like, hey, it's on them you allowed to play a hockey team there. So, hey, you know what? Chaos. If you're so it. concerned about it. an arena not being ready in 2026 in Milan, maybe you should be more concerned about the arena not being ready in 2023 for your own 
freaking hockey team but also the atmosphere like i'm with annie i would love to see that and like i would 100 percent fly down for a yeah. game like oh, that would be if it's against the jets i incredible. will be in attendance you can mark my words on that <laughs> we're gonna do game over from there the three of us absolutely oh the american college beer prices y'all y'all you'll see me there um <laughs> i'm just last question in the chat here and i'm gonna i'm gonna take this one and run with it a little bit so lucas is asking if lambert gets called up because the question is if if kyle connor's out long term do they try and promote one of the kids that's kind of cooking up in the ahl right now and and my thought is no right now brad lambert has been such a volatile kid for the you know a couple years of his last couple years of his development at the age of 14 people were talking about him like he was the next gretzky age of 16 he'd fallen off of the map completely and it's just been kind of all over the the place with brad lambert he's been cooking right now in the ahl and i'm really happy for the kid he's finding some getting some reps at center he's really enjoying himself it looks like and, and doing really well i don't think they want to disturb that i my hot take is if they are going to call someone up it's going to be nikita chibrikov and i feel like he's got that type okay Ra- rachel's got something to say about this then i like the excitement i think nikita chibrikov is really cool i think it's a better style of player knowing he's a little bit older and, and all these types of things to to fill into that slot and and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Send him back to the moose. There's no problem with any of that. I, I think that that, if there's a long-term Kyle Connor injury, God forbid, like we're, we're still hoping that that's not the case, but you know, we kind of have to prepare for the worst here. I'm, uh, I'm thinking he might be the one they give the shout to, uh, just to, to bring him up and see what he can do. Rachel, do you have anything to add on to that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm right with you. The worst thing you can do, like I did a whole masters on drafting and development and I'm about to embark on a phd horrendous idea um but columbus is giving me a lot of great material to write about how to not do this and the ducks are giving me the opposite great material on how to develop so if you look (laughs) if you are about to develop and you want to be the anaheim ducks of instead of the columbus blue jackets you with brad lambert you let him cook down there because the worst thing you can do with a pros uh, with a prospect is yo-yo them up and down hi kent johnson so hi, billy hanola <laughs> billy hanola yeah like let's hope the jets learn their lesson here and they don't bring like the ducks didn't bring jackson lacombe up until he was ready they didn't bring up trevor zegras until he was ready they certainly wouldn't be playing leo carlson if they didn't think he was ready and so you have you if you bring Brad Lambert up, you can't send him back down. That's the thing is like, he's finally finding his groove at the AHL level. He needs to do that for an entire season in the same way that like players like William Nylander and Nikolai Ehlers did before becoming excellent NHL players. Whereas a kid like Nikita Chibrikov, like you can't call a kid like Lambert up and play him on the third line. Like that's just, it. Th- th- that's not going to work. Whereas with Chibrikov, he's a little bit more versatile He's a little bit more established. He's got a little bit more maturity to his game. And he's a little bit more versatile. You're not so worried that things are going to go completely off the rails if he has a bad game or two. And so I think I look at this and I I bring up Chibrikov if things go awry. I leave Lambert down there to continue to find his game, maybe develop at the center left position because they probably are going to need that. And so I look at that and I go, Chibrikov's probably the guy. And if it's really, really long-term... Then you wait until a kid ends his college season like Rutger McGrory and he goes right into the lineup because by the time he finishes college this year, he will be ready. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, and also trade deadline coming up. They need a male six piece anyway. Maybe this just bumps up the urgency. But uh, Rachel and Annie, thank you so much for coming and joining me on Game Over tonight. It's always a blast to have you on. I have a super fun show planned with these two uh, and some other fun guests later in the year, which is going to be real good. Before we sign off for the night, um, Annie, I'll throw it to you. Where can everyone find you? What are you up to? And, and where can everyone stay in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Sweet Annie OD. Um, posting lots of fun uh, content and got a big, got a lot of plans coming up through the end of the year as far as content goes. And always, we kind of, I started out as very broad sports, and I still kind of dabble in, you know, big baseball girl. <laughs> I won't say it. Uh, <laughs> I won't say it. I'm sorry. Uh, but I've kind of secular, kind of segregated down into hockey. So just, uh, yeah, posting lots of fun informational content. So yeah, come hang. Love it. Yeah, and for those of you uh, who did not observe Rachel and I's reactions, um. And he's a Dodgers fan. I was considering actually kind of nixing the show. I was like, I think it's too fresh. I think this this whole <laughs> these last couple of days are, are gonna hurt us a little bit. I'm guys, I'm I'm not a, or if I were to be a fan of any baseball team, I'm definitely a fan of the Jays. Like I'll I'll definitely I'll, I'll watch a game every now and then. I'm not a baseball girl. Like that is that is not me. But I was literally like it was like 2020 election vibes of me sitting on my couch watching TV like this. Like I was literally like sitting there staring. Every single day I had sports. Were you right. tracking the private plane too? No, I was not tracking. <laughs> no, the plane. that's psychotic that behavior, by the way. That's I didn't so go weird. that far, but I was so waiting weird. for some I... news to break on this. And then I was just like, I was so excited. Like I, but yeah, anyways. anyways. Although I did, I did see that uh, Cody Bellinger's, I think wife or girl. Yes. I can't remember. They're in, yep. They're here. She posted, she posted Toronto. I, I love Cody Bellinger. I know you guys will take care of him. If he signed Cody, so I would much. love, I would love him in that Jays lineup. I, I, sushi I wish for 50. sushi for fifty. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> Rachel, where where can the people find you? Um, crying tears is where they can find me. Um, yeah, <laughs> crying into I, your PhD. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's funny is like I I live in Toronto and my stepdad's a massive like he knows people at the Jays like so do I and so like this was like a big thing but like my NL team for like years has been the Dodgers so now it's like I don't know if I'm allowed to like the Dodgers anymore that feels like it might be yeah. sacrilegious um but people can find me at puckbuck slash sporty girl math on TikTok at Rachel Dory on Instagram the staff and graph podcast uh on youtube slash wherever you listen to podcasts yeah that's kind of what i do um i'm sure if you're in this game over you probably know that i yell and scream on twitter a lot um yeah that's pretty much where you can find me i will um be launching my model relatively soon there's going to be an analysis angle and a betting angle to it so um yeah i'm excited for that and i mean i'm not as fun as annie on any of the social media platforms but yeah. <laughs> I just yell Stop. more. <laughs> I learned I'm waiting for your model because I I'm I'm still like new in the sports betting space. Um, so I'm still like picking it up as I go and I'm doing more like I'm learning it for the fun. Whereas like, okay, there has to be like, but I want to be good at it. So I'm like, okay, I need math reasoning. I need to like put in something where I'm like, hey, I know that this is gonna happen. I I need to predict the future as much as I can. I love, making. That's what I love money, baby. I want to win money. I want to be right. Okay. I got you, Annie. I got you. 100%. Let's get rich, Rachel. <laughs> yes. Well, the reason I always uh, look look 
forward to having Annie and Rachel on the shows or interacting with them and doing fun content together with them as I uh everyone knows how passionate I am about women being bold in the sports space and these two are two people I look up very very much when looking at that sort of angle so make sure you you check them out check me out too obviously I appreciate everyone who's here on Game Over um my name is Liz I feel like I, I probably introduced myself earlier on the show but I know a lot of people are here for Rachel and Annie as they should be but I'm here after every Jets game uh, me or my co-host Brady uh so make sure you check us out there's also a Game Over stream for every single Canadian market after every single Canadian market game which is real fun they always got fun guests it's a really fun time so make sure you hit subscribe on your way out never miss anything from SDPN Thank you so much, everyone, for being here tonight. It was a really fun show. Rachel, Annie, thank you again. I will see you again on the show very soon. Have a good Sunday, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Yeah!